Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney, the host of How They Love Mary, and I'm honored by how many people listen to this podcast each and every week. I keep making this podcast for you, for the listeners. I'd like to invite you to a very special opportunity to become a part of the How They Love Mary community through Patreon. You can find it at patreon.com slash howtheylovemary. And in exchange, there are two different tiers and there's going to be bonus content, two additional videos each month, and the opportunity to pose a question that I will ask to the guest. I hope that you will help support this podcast, How They Love Mary, through the Patreon With your support, I'll be able to upgrade my equipment. With your support, I'll be able to pay for the monthly web hosting and not out of my own pocket. With your support, I will be able to hire a graphic designer to make images so that this podcast may be better known. Thanks for listening. And now, on with the show for today. Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to a bonus episode of the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. And on these bonus episodes, I bring you the content that I have seen on social media. I did an episode last week, so we have seven days to cover, and today happens to be a feast of the Blessed Virgin Mary, her presentation in the temple, and I have a special treat for you at the end as I entered into a conversation with Father James Brett of the Thomistic Institute, a Dominican out there on the East Coast, and we had a wonderful conversation unpacking the presentation of Mary. So please stay tuned for that conversation at the very end as we highlight these Marian tweets. First, let's get started. Father Peter Wojcik at Chicago Priest tweeted, hashtag Our Lady of Guadalupe, quote, I am the merciful mother of all of you, of all those who love me, of those who cry to me. Here I will hear their weeping, their sorrow, and will remedy and alleviate all their multiple sufferings, end quote. Mary, hear our prayer for those who are sick with COVID-19. Mary reveals herself to be a compassionate mother. She knows suffering. She sees suffering. It fills her heart with sorrow. And we ask her now from her place in heaven, assumed body and soul, the queen of heaven, reigning alongside Christ the King. We ask her to look down upon us in our world today to see the sick and the suffering, to bring healing and comfort to those who need it most. My Online Shrine, handle at My Online Shrine, tweeted, Give her time. She's untangling bit by bit. And it was an icon of Our Lady of Undoer of Knots. And there she was undoing those knots. And we know that when we ask the Blessed Mother to untie those knots, just as she untied the knot of Eve's disobedience, that she can untie those messy knots of our own life by her prayers from above. Maria Teresa at Catholic Gabby. She has been featured on this podcast quite a bit on the bonus episodes recently. She has been putting out lots of Marian content. In fact, this is her first of two tweets featured on today's episode. I've entered into a exchange with her on Twitter, and I'm hoping to get her as a guest early next year so that we can talk about her own love for the Blessed Mother. This is what she tweeted. The day of Our Lady of Guadalupe is coming, the Queen of Americas, the Queen of Heaven and Earth. We shall remember the biggest evil of this generation is also the biggest pain of her immaculate heart. 
Let's save babies. Let's save humans. Let's bring joy to our beloved mother. A beautiful tweet speaking about how Our Lady of Guadalupe is the patron of the pro-life movement with the pregnant Madonna in that image that was impressed upon Juan Diego's Tilma. Let us ask Our Lady of Guadalupe's intercession for the conversion of hearts so that no one will choose abortion. Church Life Journal at Church Life ND tweeted an article that was published on their website, The Riddle at Cana, Mary and the Biblical Mystery by Julia Hedgeduke. I'd definitely encourage you to check it out. Cana is one of the most popular stories in the Bible of Mary. Of course, we have the Annunciation, we have the Visitation, but people love this image of Cana and unpack the biblical theology there with Julia Hedgeduck on Church Life. Now, you know, I had a feature tweet by a person whose name on Twitter is E period H period Looney. I don't know what his E is. Maybe he's an Edward. I'd love to think he's an Edward, but E H Looney, his handle at acrimony and tweeted this. The rosary is stronger than all our enemies. Pray it every day. Let's Lepanto these people. So we do have recourse to the Blessed Mother, the Reference there to Lepanto, the battle of victory long ago that gave us the feast of Our Lady of the Rosary. So the rosary has been a prayer that we have used in battles, and we have our own battles with sin in our life. So use the rosary so that we might be victorious with Our Lady. Mary Boneno at Paz de Mary tweeted this. I have amazing news. I was finally able to officially enroll in the graduate Mariology course. Thank you for all your prayers during this process. Congratulations, Mary. I hope you enjoy your Mariology class. I love Mariology. I'm a Marian theologian. I'm the vice president of the Mariological Society of America. And if you're listening to this bonus episode where you got a name drop and a tweet drop, please feel free anytime to reach out to me. Ask me any questions you want. I would even love to read any papers you have to write and give you feedback before you submit them. That's how much I love the study of Mary, and I'm so happy that you're reading and that you're going to be enrolled in these courses, and I hope that they use some of the great textbooks of Mariology. Let me know if I can be of help. Our Holy Father, Pope Francis, talked about the Blessed Virgin Mary and his general audience and also tweeted about her. At Pontifex says, Mary kept all these things, reflecting on them in her heart. Everything that happens to her ends up in her heart so that it might pass through the sieve of prayer and be transfigured by it. Hashtag general audience. In that general audience, our Holy Father talked about Mary as the model of the Christian life. Be sure to go, go and find his general audience. Read his thoughts beyond just this little tweet that we have at our disposal. Maria Teresa, I told you she got her second shout out now at Catholic Gabby. OM gosh, guys, guess who's literally sleeping under mama's mantle. I love this so much. She had a picture there and it's a blanket of Our Lady of Guadalupe. We always say that we're under the mantle of Mary and in this case, she really is. She's sleeping under that blanket of the Blessed Virgin. Loti Jupri handle at FMESSTM3 tweeted a picture of an image of the Blessed Mother and a little sign that says, call your mother. And what a great reminder in that person's home. Call your mother. How do we call Our Lady? Well, we call upon her in the rosary. We call upon her, remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known. 
Don't let a day pass where you don't have a conversation with your heavenly mother. And maybe also be reminded, call your earthly mom. And if she's passed, say a prayer for her eternal rest. Father Jeff Fashing at Jeffrey Fashing tweeted, Always have recourse to your mother, the Virgin Most Pure, that you might fight your battle with strength and confidence. With Mary and her prayers before God, we are powerful. Never forget that. And lastly, Catholic Exchange that I contribute to quite regularly published an article by Father Quan Tran titled, How Imitating the Blessed Virgin Mary Can Lead Us to Grace. If you are looking for grace in your own life, turn to this article and see how Our Lady can obtain those graces for you and lead you to the fountain of grace. And now, let's talk about the presentation of the Blessed Virgin Mary with Father James Brent. Today is November 21st, and as we bring to a close this bonus episode of How They Love Mary, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge the fact that it is the Feast of the Presentation of Mary. And this is a feast of the church, but it's not in the scriptures. Just a year ago, I was at an academic conference, and I met Father James Brent, O.P., a Dominican, out on the East Coast, and he gave a paper on the presentation of Mary, and I reached out to him to see if maybe he would share just a little bit about this feast for all of us and how we can appreciate it and for what it means. So I'd like to thank you, Father James Brent, for joining me today. Thank you, Father, for having me on your show. Uh, it's a great joy for me to be here to speak with you and all of your listeners about this wonderful feast of the presentation of Our Lady. So maybe the first thing is, what is the Feast of the Presentation of Mary? What is believed about it? Well, that's a great question. A lot of people can confuse it with the presentation of the Lord, but it's actually about Our Lady. And it's, it's an ancient tradition of the Church that Our Lady was dedicated in the temple at a very young age, and that she grew up in and around the temple, living, we could say, in association with the temple. And that was her home growing up. So the, the story is based on the, a document called the Proto-Evangelium of James, which is sometimes called an apocryphal gospel, that was composed uh, probably, we should say, the second century uh, after the birth of our Lord, as a rough estimate. And so it's a, one of the earliest, perhaps the earliest, apocryphal gospel. But it has been very influential on the liturgy of the church, especially in the Christian East. And it's in the Proto-Evangelium of James that we have the story of Our Lady when she was uh, born to her parents of Joachim and Anna. That's the document, by the way, where we get their names. And the story goes that uh, they made a vow to the Lord that if they could conceive and uh, bear a child, they would dedicate their child to the Lord. So Our Lady was then conceived and born to Saints Joachim and Anna, and true to their vow, they dedicated Our Lady to the Lord, and she grew up uh, in and around or in association with the temple in Jerusalem. To the presentation is the liturgical feast where we celebrate an event that's detailed in the Proto-Evangelium, where Our Lady is escorted by a group of virgins to the temple. When she gets to the temple, Joachim and Anna uh, leave her there, and instead of running back and chasing after her mother and father, she's captivated by the sight of the temple, and she freely chooses, so to speak, to, to remain there and live her life 
in and around the temple. So that's the, the general um, basis or meaning of the feast. And there's many questions that could be asked about the feast. But uh, the feast made its way, it was first celebrated in the East, and it gradually made its way to the church in the West, and we continue to celebrate it this day, uh, to this day, on November 21st. So, Now, there's a lot of scholarship that suggests this probably didn't take place, so should we believe in this as an actual historical event? Well, that's a good question. I guess you could say that's always the big question. And here's what we can say. First of all, the we have what, this document, the Proto Evangelium of James, which certainly presents this story to us. It might very well have been an oral tradition coming down from the early church. That's unclear, of course, to us. But one thing is pretty clear, and that is there's no specific evidence against it. Uh, I mean, there's nothing saying that the that Our Lady was not dedicated in the temple when she uh, grew up. But also, um, there is some circumstantial evidence that's at least consistent with it. So, for example, the Gospel of Luke tells us that you have uh, the prophetess Anna in the temple day and night, it says, praying. So there are women living in or, in or around or in association with the temple. Uh, that seems, that's a historical fact based on the Gospel of Luke. And um, if you look up things like the New Catholic Encyclopedia article on the presentation of Our Lady, it tells us that uh, there's reason to believe that there were women living in association with the temple. So it's not a completely outlandish uh, or sort of ridiculous uh, thing to believe. Um, and in fact, in ancient societies, there was just more of a custom of people giving up their children to into the care of others. So even as, I mean, in the Middle Ages, for example, you had the phenomenon called oblates in Benedictine monasteries. St. Thomas Aquinas himself was an oblate. He was given by his parents to the Benedictines when he was five. He grew up in and around a Benedictine monastery. So if those are the sorts of things, uh, those are the sorts of ways and customs of raising children in the ancient world, um, then in the, in the Middle Ages and ancient world, then it's not completely outlandish to think that Our Lady was um, given over to the care of women in or around the temple in Jerusalem. So uh, just judging by historical reasoning alone, we can say that it's consistent with the historical evidence. Uh, now, if we go beyond um, historical reasoning alone and look at properly theological reasons, then there's more reasons, I guess you could say, to to say that this is fitting. Um, there's lots of theological reasons why it's appropriate that Mary, who's the Ark of the Covenant, would grow up in and around. And Mary's the Ark of the New Covenant, the temple is the the place of the Ark of the Covenant. The temple is the place of the presence of God. Mary is the place of the presence of God. And uh, so it's like, it's fitting. It makes sense that she would live in and around the temple. But the truth is that the preachers in the Middle Ages, they didn't really raise uh, the historical question all that seriously. They more or less took it for granted because it was a tradition of the church and it was confirmed by the liturgy of the church. 
and the liturgy both in the East and in the West has celebrated this feast consistently, and the prayers of the liturgy strongly suggest that this is something that really happened. So um, lex orandi, lex credendi, we say, the law of praying is the law of believing, and we can be reasonable, uh, we can be reasonably misled by the Spirit of God, and the Church uh, celebrates this feast of the presentation of Our Lady. Um, so there's lots of theological reasons why it's it's good and fitting. We could get into that too, if you'd like. There are the preachers. You mentioned the liturgical tradition. Yeah. So lots of different preachers yeah. have talked about and preached on this feast. And what is sure. maybe just one of the theological insights that they provide for us? Well, I think the basic one that they all have in common is that the presentation of Our Lady is really the feast of her prayer life. She's a contemplative woman. She's the woman of contemplative prayer. So the temple is the place of prayer. And it, it makes sense that she would, would grow up and uh, grow up around the temple in order to form in her the disposition of a prayerful life. And in order to form in her the dispositions and qualities she would need to be prepared for the moment of the Annunciation. So the tradition is that She's dedicated in the temple to the Lord sometime after she's born, but before the Annunciation. And so we can see it as a preparatory event. Uh, on the one hand, it makes sense, given that in her conception, in her immaculate conception, she received the fullness of grace. I mean, what do you do with that, right? A good, a good way for someone who's received the fullness of grace like she did, a good uh, environment for her, a good habitat for that grace to grow would be to, in, to live in and around the temple. And doing so enabled her to learn the law and the prophets and to learn the promises of God to the, to the people of Israel, to be acquaintances and the priesthood of Israel and to become deeply immersed in the things of Israel. And that would have been a suitable formation and education for a woman who's going to be the mother of God, the mother of Jesus Christ. And I would have prepared her that way, but also of course, to form her and her to form her heart, we could say in the ways of contemplative prayer. And that's how the fathers of the church, that's what they really zero in on. Uh, they zero in on how life in the temple formed her and transformed her into this woman of deep contemplative prayer. So let me give an analogy. If we think of like a St. Teresa of Avila or a St. John of the Cross or one of these other sort of mystics that are well known in the history of the church, people who have entered into profound in a very conscious and explicit way, we can say that Our Lady uh, was like that, only she was much more so because she had the fullness of grace. She was a woman of profound prayer and union with God. And that not only was a sort of the fruit of her immaculate conception, but was preparation for the Annunciation, but in the long run, you can say it's preparation for her to be the spiritual mother of us all. Uh, now, the way that the fathers of the church talk about it is they really present her as, in a way, the first contemplative or the ultimate contemplative so that all the monks 
of the ancient church and the Middle Ages and all the cloistered nuns, people who dedicate themselves to prayer full time, um, it's not so much that Mary's like them, it's rather that they are like Mary, and Mary is really the first contemplative. That's what the, the I guess you'd say, the common theme of the homilies of the ancient church are surrounding this feast. And one of them in particular, there's one set of homilies in particular uh, by, well, he's not a father of the church. He's a uh, someone from the later Middle Ages, Gregory Palamas from the Eastern side of the church. He really, in a way, sums up a lot of the patristic homilies and preaching on this, where he describes, it's a really very beautiful description he gives of it, that Mary is in the temple and she's listening or day and night to the proclamation of the scriptures, the proclamation of the Old Testament, and is hearing about the, the great stories of salvation history. She's hearing about the creation of mankind. She's hearing about the fall of mankind. She's hearing about the people of Israel. She's hearing about the exile. She's hearing about all of it. And she is struck in her heart with compassion of all in mankind. And so she interiorly seeks out a path of return to God and the path that she seeks out is a path of prayer and she begins by uh, trying to find God in her outer senses she can't find God in her outer senses so she looks for God in her imagination she can't find God in her imagination or her passions she looks for God in her memory she can't find God in her memory meaning her memory of things in the environment so then Looks for God in, in her reason, in her concepts, and her ideas. She can't find God in, in her reason or concepts or ideas. But eventually she comes to this place in the depths of the soul. We could call it the mind or the noose, as they call it in Greek. And it's there in this highest point or deepest point within the, the soul that she finds God. She finds the light of God and she, with God and the presence of God or with his light in the depths of her soul. So it's really the great theme of the presence of God shining in the depths of our hearts uh, or the depths of the mind. And Our Lady is the first to discover or rediscover God shining within the depths of her, our heart uh, because she has, again, the fullness of grace. And so she is, as it were, the, a pioneer of the contemplative life. That's how St. Gregory Palamas presents her. And um, yeah, and when he does that, he sums up a lot of the preaching of the fathers of the church. So that's really the, the great announcement of this feast. Mary is the woman of contemplative prayer, but she's also intercedes for us that we too can become men and women of contemplative prayer. And one marvelous point, people grow in contemplative prayer in proportion to their love of the Virgin Mary. So the more that someone loves Mary, the more that someone is going to be likened to her and follow her on this path of contemplative prayer and enter into a deep awareness of the presence of God. 
Well, you know, you just took away my last question by that answer. I was oh. going to say, no, that's great. I love that you anticipated it because I was going to ask, well, you know, we can talk about Mary and the presentation. And I think lots of people always say, well, what does that mean for me in my own life? And you answered that. You said, yeah. you know, if we grow in our love of the Virgin Mary, well, then we're going to grow in contemplative prayer. We're going to deepen our own contemplation of the mysteries of God. And we know that through the rosary, you're a Dominican. We know that with the rosary, mm -hmm. that that's one way that we contemplate these different mysteries of God. And Mary helps us with that, that she tells us the story of salvation uh, through those uh, beads that we pray. That's right. You've got it. And um, in his little in, in his little apostolic letter, Rosarium Virginis Maria, Pope St. John Paul II talks about the rosary and how each of the mysteries of the rosary is one of the memories of Mary. And so when we pray the rosary, we enter into the memories of Mary. We sort of remember these mysteries along with her, and we actually participate and share in her prayer life. There's a marvelous line in that letter where he says, when we pray the rosary, we are mystically transported to Mary's side. So that's the great way to think about this feast is if you want to enter want to enter into the mystery of Mary's contemplative prayer life, uh, all you have to do is reach for your rosary and down, be silent, be still, and remember the mysteries of the life of Christ and say the Hail Mary's with her. And when you do that, you are mystically transported to her side. She envelops you in her love and in her grace, and we can enter into her prayer life. Well, that is great. That's wonderful advice. And so beautiful for us to hear that today on this Feast of the Presentation of Mary. So I'd like to thank you, Father uh, Brent, Father James Brent, yes. the Dominicans, for being with me today. He teaches out in Washington, D.C., and it also does a lot with the Thomistic Institute. So thank you for your brilliant wisdom in unpacking this feast day for us today. Thank you so much, Father. Thank you for the invitation. I really appreciate it. You have been listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. You can follow me, Father Edward Looney, on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the handle at FR Edward Looney. And if you don't mind, please like this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Please follow it. Please give it a review. Please subscribe. This will help to continue to raise awareness of the podcast. And if you don't mind, share it with your family and friends on social media. I hope that you'll join me next time as we continue to talk about the Blessed Virgin Mary and grow in our devotion to her. We'll see you then. God bless.